This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, presented by Tunnel Vision Sports, we talk about the NBA with special guest Blake Beasley. We talk about the Julio Jones trade to the Tennessee Titans. We talk about foreign substances in the MLB, as long as well as this week in sports, getting into the college football playoff expansion, as well as our matchups we're looking forward to for this week and the weekend. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dylan and Dylan Show presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Today is Friday, June 11th. I'm Dylan Jesperson here in Michigan. With me, as always, my co-host Dylan Holt out in Tennessee. Dylan, how are you doing today? Doing great. Not quite in Tennessee. Out here in Kentucky. It's close. Oh. I understand. Yeah. Kentucky my bad. My though. apologies. <laughs> Just trying to give the locations of everyone. I'm already messing up. Blake. Sure. Messing up you now, but. Uh, Speaking of which, I want to give a warm welcome to our ghost, our guest host today, our colleague here at TV Sports, Blake Beasley. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to be on the show. Good stuff. Good stuff. This is the greatness of the TV Sports brand as we're going coast to coast with today's show. Blake is uh, doing the social media stuff for us here out in California, and uh, he's getting into some writing as well, and we're happy and excited to have him on to talk some basketball today. A uh, quick reminder to follow Tunnel Vision Sports on Spotify. That way you guys never miss an upload. The shows go live every Friday evening. And let's get right into it. Dylan and I have asked Blake to come on here because the NBA playoffs are rolling and we wanted to give our faithful listeners a new take on what's been going on in the NBA so far. So I wanted to throw it to Blake first. Blake, uh, with how the NBA playoffs have been going, a lot of uh, upsets, uh, you could say, uh, with the Lakers going down early. Just what's been your overall reaction to how the playoffs have been developing so far? I thought it's been honestly really surprising. A big thing, too, is I think this is the first finals since, like, maybe 2010 that didn't have Steph Curry or LeBron James. So no matter what, it's going to look super different. And it's really exciting to see a lot of the younger guys be the ones to, like, step up and really change it up. Like how Donovan Mitchell's been looking really special. Same with Devin Booker and Trey Young. So the league has a bright future and the playoffs are so different because – it's hard to really see what's going to happen when most years, usually it's like, okay, well, LeBron or Steph's going to be there for sure. Dylan, you're muted still. Dylan, you're muted still. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Uh, that's kind of something we've talked about over the last few weeks uh, is how it's like a new era in the NBA. And we're seeing all these new guys step up. Uh, Donovan, we saw Donovan Mitchell last year in the bubble go crazy with Jamal Murray in that series. Uh, against the Nuggets, and he's just carried that right over. He doesn't have much playoff experience, but my goodness, he looks like an absolute stud. Dwayne Wade last night said he's having a run, like the 06 heat run that D-Wade had had where they won the finals. That would be incredible. And I, and even though the Jazz were the number one seed, had the best record in the NBA this year, I don't think anyone really came into the playoffs saying, oh, yeah, 
the Jazz are going to just run through everybody. And I'm still a long way away from the finals. But right now, they just look so dominant. They've won six straight postseason games as we're recording right now, which is tied for the longest postseason winning streak in, like, the last 20 years, which is just incredible. And, like, as you said, Booker, Trey Young, and then Luka, Jason Tatum, and John Moran all showed out in the first uh, round, even though they lost. And it's just I, – I think we're getting in this uh, – getting in a transition period where we're going to see a lot of uh, new young stars uh, rising up and having fun and uh, continue making the NBA a great league. Yeah, I absolutely agree with both of what you guys are saying with young guys uh, like Donovan Mitchell. And that's been my biggest takeaway with Donovan Mitchell and uh, John Morant and really Trey Young at the same time is uh, I really thought that this was the playoffs that they needed to cement themselves as the NBA superstars that they were. And a lot of guys had those opportunities. And I think those three uh, above all have done the best job of that. I think Ja for Memphis was prove to himself and prove to the NBA that he can be the facility, not only the facilitator, but the lead scorer on a true NBA playoff team, a true contender. Uh, and then what Donovan's doing is just, like you said, just amazing. E- even though you know what you're getting with Donovan, he's been in the year or been in the league for a few years now uh, to be able to lead a team basically by yourself and still have like the best chance to be in the, in the finals at this point to be the best contender I'd say left uh, is saying a lot about what what he uh, has accomplished being looked down upon. I mean, as a Pistons fan, I know we had a chance to draft Donovan Mitchell and we took Luke Kennard. So uh, just more more things as a Detroit fan to look at and be like, okay, this is this is just how it goes in the NBA. Uh, but you, it it also shows that the NBA ha- has adjusted, and you're not you don't have to be a lottery specifically a lottery player to be an NBA superstar anymore. And you're finding guys like, uh, like Donovan that have been able to uh, forge that role for themselves, even when looked down upon in the NBA draft. So uh, I'm excited for the young guys in the draft as well. That's a great point. Uh, I wanted to keep going with the NBA. What's your, we've given our uh, thoughts quick, just on the older guys, uh, the people getting drafted too, like, the MVP, 41st pick, he was drafted. Literally, it showed when he got drafted. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was during a Taco Bell commercial. They weren't even live because that's, like, how far back he was in the draft. And now just guys like that are winning the MVP. It's such a deep league. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue because I wanted to – we've given our thoughts on the MVP race throughout the year, and Jokic won it – or Jokic won it. We wanted to get your thoughts on how the MVP race played out and if you thought Jokic was a rightful winner in your in your mind. I thought he was actually pretty much the clear person for me, at least. The big thing for me was I like to try to, because everyone always references the Jamal Murray injury and how big that affected him. So I wanted to look at the Nuggets without Jamal Murray and then with Jamal Murray, but then I also wanted to look at the Nuggets without Nikola Jokic and with Nikola Jokic. And the thing that I found the most impressive, especially because he's such like a big guy, he went late into the Western Conference Finals last year. So he was finishing up around October and didn't get really, like really that long of a break. He didn't miss a single game this entire year, which absolutely just blew my mind, especially with like all these superstars getting injured and stuff. And it just shows that like he's super valuable alone in the fact that, you know, he's going to be out there every single night. And the fact that he is out there and he's getting 27, 10 and eight is also just a beautiful factor. And also the team around him is really picked up to where the Nuggets are, I think their record is like 15 and six without Jamal Murray or something like that. It's grown more over time throughout the playoffs, but for the most part, just his contribution 
And that comes from him just being such an amazing facilitator. I think personally, he's the best passing big man I've seen in my life. And I think he's a top five passer in the league. And the thing that makes him so special is guys like Steph, you know, you can have your players get hurt and obviously Curry's amazing, but if you just go for 40 and no one's getting involved, you're not going to win. But if you're able to get Monte Morris 30 points, you know, you can have Aaron Gordon start going out there and eating like the Nuggets are looking really well-rounded or at least they were before the last two games. But still, I thought flat out his numbers look arguably comparable to when Shaq won MVP. I think there's two points off, five less rebounds, but he also has like seven more assists. And no one would ever question uh, Shaq MVP, especially since he only has like one, I think. So it shouldn't, we should never question Nikola Jokic's either. Yeah, we uh, we started talking about the MVP race. I think it was like the first show we did together. We were talking about it was, there was a few weeks left in the season, maybe a month. And we were both kind of like, Jokic is probably the guy that's going to walk away with it. He had such an amazing, amazing season. I think that was right when the Murray injury happened. And we said it's going to be really interesting to see what happens from here on out, um, what he's going to do without uh, Jamal Murray. And as we've seen through the end of the regular season and then through the playoffs so far, he's been phenomenal and 100% deserved that MVP trophy. Um, Steph made a run late, but I, they didn't make the playoffs. He was phenomenal. There's no Everybody knows Steph Curry's phenomenal. Uh and I kind of like the parody of the NBA right now where we talked about new stars stepping up. Jokic, we, he was already a star, but now he gets submitted at the top of the mountain, gets that MVP, uh, and kind of keeps that narrative going for this NBA season as we gear towards uh, crowning a champion later this month or early next month. Yeah, and you talk about all those injuries and not to take away from the season that Jokic had because we were all in agreement that Jokic was running away with it, ended up getting the MVP in the end. Uh, but his best ability this year in terms of the MVP race was his availability. Uh, his biggest targets or uh, competitors, Joel Embiid may have beaten him out if he would have played all, all of the games. LeBron probably beats him out if he be- plays uh, 100% of the games in the season. So uh, not to take away what, from what Jokic did, I just think this was a season where his health, his ability to stay healthy was part of the reason he won MVP and actually a pretty big part of it. So we were talking with Blake before this, before the show happened, he is actually from Phoenix, not, but lives in California. So it's a perfect mix. We get to talk to him about the Lakers. We get to talk to him about the Clippers and we get to talk to him about his Phoenix Suns. So uh, Blake, just give me your thoughts on the Lakers moving forward. Maybe give me uh, the clip, your thoughts on the Clippers chances and the Suns chances as they move forward in the playoff race. Uh, well, with the uh, with the Lakers moving forward uh, earlier today, or it might have been yesterday, Kyle Kuzma did announce that most likely the Lakers were going to move on from him. They were pursuing trades with that. I personally think that would be a really good move. I think the Lakers have certain players they have to keep. And then a bigger issue they could have in the future is I think Montrezl could be really important towards their future. But he has a very large issue with Frank Vogel, the fact that he was playing – He was six man of the year the year before, and he was playing three to four minutes like in leading up into the actual playoff games. And it would be really frustrating to be in that role. But I think he's a guy who could be important to their future. But I also think they need to get more veteran leadership, because for the most part, 
the Lakers weren't just like losing certain games. It really looked like they didn't care. And like, they didn't really have any fight. And when like you see LeBron or Anthony Davis check out of the game, usually that's when, even though he's not really impacting the series he's playing in right now, Rondo would come in and bring the energy and have that type of momentum. And that's what Dennis Schroeder was supposed to do. And he's supposed to be the better version of that. And then he goes out and he's the first player in Lakers franchise history to have zero points in a playoff game. It's just ridiculous. And he's asking for $100 million this offseason on top of that, which is literally 100 times the amount of points he scored in game six. So it's just not I don't think it's worth it. I think there's got to be a lot of movements. I mean, I could be unrealistic and be one of those people who are like, go get Damian Lillard. Realistically, while you are in L.A., you're always going to have a chance to get a superstar. But for the most part, go back to what got you your previous success. Go get some veterans who are in there and who want to win, not people who are going to give up in the third quarter if you're down 15, because you never know what could happen. Like when the Clippers advanced past the Mavericks last series, they were down 20, but you have veterans who want to win and want to keep fighting. And that's how you advance in those series. And you're never going to be a champion if you just throw in the towel early. But that's my thought, at least just on the Lakers. Uh, What's your guys' So um, I think you make a great point with the veterans and how it did seem like the Lakers gave up in some of those games. Uh, we can even look at last night with the Clippers. Uh, they were down big at half. They were down by uh, double digits. And Reggie Jackson, a guy that maybe isn't seen as like the Clippers star, but he's certainly a guy on their bench that they know can get a bucket, exploded in the second half. He only had five points to the first half, finished with 29. If Reggie Jackson doesn't come out and show out in the second half, that game isn't close. Because it ended up being a six-point game in the end. Um, and they're still down 2 on the series. But Reggie Jackson showed that fight. He, he had that dog mentality to get out there and try to win. He wants to win a championship. And that that's definitely something the Lakers were uh, missing. And I, I think Rondo being gone, uh, you can definitely tell a mentality difference. Because Rondo's got he's got championship experience under his belt. Uh, he won one early in his career with the Celtics. It'll be interesting to see the moves they make maybe trying to get some more veterans in there with LeBron, uh, maybe try to get some familiar faces. I, I think it's going to be a really fun offseason with them. And we, we that's echoing from what we said last week about the Lakers. But I, I think it's a lot of fun, that situation out in L.A. Yeah, as they move forward, they, we've got to see, you know, what moves they're going to make. I think we're all in agreement that the roster as it stands is not going to – be the roster that we see next season obviously Kuzma is going to move on we're going to see what they do with Schroeder uh but it's going to be interesting at what route they take I think I I am in agreement with you guys that I think maybe the veteran route is the way that they should go but knowing the Lakers and knowing LeBron's past I think the the way he will go is to try to recruit one of those big name players whether it's Damian Lillard or someone else uh I think that's probably plan a at least uh in my mind what's going on in LA um any more thoughts from any of you guys as we uh, wrap up our NBA stuff, uh, playoff predictions or anything? Uh, the last thing I would say is just with the Clippers alone, um, I I was pronouncing them dead last series uh, because I'm a big Luka guy. I feel like everybody is, though, just because he's so gifted. But for the most part, I just realized this earlier. Um, Kawhi Leonard is undefeated when going down 0-2 in a series. We saw it uh, with Toronto and Milwaukee two years ago. And we saw last series. So even though I personally, I want the Clippers out, but I don't think it's going to, they could still have a chance. And like with a team like that, especially with someone Kawhi who has good experience fighting back from behind and same with Ty Lue, then I think their team could really have a chance to, I'm just saying the series is going to be very interesting from here on out. I don't think it's, they're dead yet. At least. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's hard to bet against a team like the Clippers because they have two absolute, uh, maybe not superstars, all-stars. Uh, superstars hard to throw around. Uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, it's hard to bet against two guys like that. And then you look at the rest of the roster, and they've got so many veterans. And you got a guy like Ty Lue coaching who has experience as a player and as a coach in this league. Uh, it's hard to bet against a team like that, but they've got an uphill mountain against that team from Utah. They are awfully good. And if they start raining threes like they do, uh, that is a tough thing to go against, especially down 2-0 and you got to win four uh, out of the last few games. That's, that's a tough field, but it's, it's hard to bet against that Clippers team. Yeah, and just as we move forward, uh, Blake said earlier, you know, it's the first time since 2010 that LeBron James or Steph Curry are shut out of the finals. And you can see that with just like, I feel like the excitement of the NBA final, or the NBA playoffs right now because it's so much, it's so wide open. Any team really I could conceivably see uh, making a run and getting to the finals and possibly winning the finals. And I think that's what NBA fans were wanting for such a long time. Uh, the parody is definitely way higher and it makes for a lot more exciting basketball. So <clears throat> awesome stuff. I want to thank Blake for tuning in or stopping in today and talking some basketball with us. You can catch him and his articles more on tvsportsmag.com. Uh, thank you, Blake, for uh, joining us today. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Hope you have a great rest of the show. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Moving on now as we change gears. This is a bit, we're a bit late covering this topic, but Dylan's Tennessee Titans made a huge move, biggest move of the offseason thus far. And we just have to jump on the Julio Jones news from last week. If you're living under a rock, it's the Atlanta Falcons traded star wide receiver Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans for a very small fee, a second round pick in 2022, as well as a fourth rounder in 2023. Uh, the Titans get Julio Jones in the sixth rounder in 2023 in return. Uh, so Dylan's team gets a huge upgrade. We talked about it when the Julio Jones trade rumors started. Uh, he he brought his Titans up, and now it's here. Dylan, we got to get your thoughts. What was your reaction? What are your thoughts on Julio Jones joining the Titans? So as the people at home who are listening know, I am a huge Tennessee Titans fan. And I threw it out into the universe a couple weeks ago. I was like, the Titans? They make so much sense to go out and get Julio Jones. He's the missing piece for this team. Um, when I got the news, I was ecstatic. I, I honestly couldn't believe it. I was like, is this one of those fake Adam Scheffner accounts that I'm seeing on my phone? Is someone duping me? Um, it just it really just didn't feel real. And I don't know why, because the Titans did this last year. They went out and got Jadavion Clowney. They, they made another huge acquisition last year. Um, I think this one's a lot different, though. I, I think Julio is – and there's no disrespect at all to Davian Clowney. He's an incredible player. I think Julio is in that upper echelon of the NFL. He's one of the elite in his position. And might you could maybe just say one of the elite in the entire league. Um, I think adding him to a core of A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill is just unbelievable. I think it automatic. I think the Titans are already the favorite in the AFC South going into next year. I think it might make them the favorite in the entire AFC. I know that might be crazy because you've got some really good teams in the AFC, but I'm also riding the uh, on the honeymoon of the getting the trade done, and I I think it's going to be incredible the battles between the Titans and the Bills and the Chiefs this year, and I think it just makes everything that much more interesting. And I, Something that's kind of um, bugged me is the disrespect that Ryan Tannehill's got because people have been dogging on him saying, Julio, why would you, 
why would you go from Matt Ryan to Ryan, or Matt Ryan to Ryan Tannehill? Ryan Tannehill, since he became the Titan starter, has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and the numbers back it up. He's behind like Mahomes and Josh Allen, and then it's Ryan Tannehill. The guy's been incredible in Tennessee, and a lot of it's due to the good players that are on the team. You've got Derrick Henry. It'd be hard not to be good with Derrick Henry. The guy's incredible. He's the best running back in the league, in my opinion. Um, I just the Julio news is incredible. You're adding that star receiver next to another star receiver, next to a star running back, next to a star quarterback, and then they'll go out there and throw ten touchdowns to tight end Anthony Ferkser, and everybody will be mad at Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans, and it's going to be incredible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I definitely agree. It makes them the definite favorites in the AFC South. Julio just puts that gap between you and the Colts just like just that much further. And uh, the Texans are just such a wild card right now. It's just tough to say anything about them. So I definitely think you guys are the favorites in the AFC South. Definitely in them running for uh, the top team in the AFC. Uh, in regards to Ryan Tannehill, and I, I always try to look at this through my Lions fan perspective. And when I when I look at Ryan Tannehill and I look at the criticism that he gets, and now I look at this roster that he has, he has AJ Brown, he has Julio, he has Derrick Henry. The, the, the pitfall I can see happening in Ryan Tannehill's career is that he does have these great numbers, but if he doesn't win and if he doesn't win relatively quickly and within the one or two years of getting Julio on his team, uh, you're going to have a, a similar situation to what Matthew Stafford had with, with Calvin Johnson. He put up a ton of great numbers, was the fastest to, I think, 30,000 passing yards in, in NFL history. It, insane numbers. But when you don't win, it really drags on your fan base really fast, especially when you have those guys that should be able to win, when you've got Julio and A.J. Brown next to you. So especially with Tannehill's past – not working out uh, in Miami. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on him now. I think that's the biggest takeaway in that regard is there's a ton of pressure on Ryan Tannehill to be elite. And if he is truly elite, then, then the Tennessee Titans really have something. Uh, But there's a lot of pressure on him now to be truly one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. And and that's what I'm looking forward to the most with that team is to see how he accepts that role uh, moving forward, because he's been great when he's been slept on now he's going to have a a microscope on him. Oh, for sure. And I think something that can make Titan fans sleep good at night after hearing that is that since he became the starter after, I believe it was week eight, two years ago, the Titans have won. They, they came back from the dead. They made the playoffs. They beat the Patriots. They beat the Ravens and then fell short in Kansas city and Kansas city went and won the Super Bowl. And last year they won the South for the first time in forever. It's been been quite a while. They fell short to the Ravens. The Ravens are good. I mean, that's they're a really good team. It's a fun rivalry. Um, they're probably going to run into the Ravens again this year. That's that's how this thing works. Good teams play each other in big time games. Um, yeah, but it's going to be a lot more pressure on Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown and Derrick Henry. And I don't know about Julio. Julio's had microscope on him since he was at Alabama. Um, but a lot of pressure on those guys and Mike Rabel to put together another another winning season and make a run in the playoffs because there hasn't been really a microscope on the Tennessee Titans in a while. 
and there definitely is one now. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays off. It's a little nerve wracking for me, but it's also really exciting to have some pressure on your team. Yeah, good pressure. Good pressure. I would be dying for that type of pressure on any of my teams right now. So, I mean, take what you can. That's the that's the greatness of sports and that's the fun part of it. So awesome stuff. The NFL is always providing us with a ton of stuff to talk about, even in the offseason. So hopefully that continues as we switch gears uh, another time here and another discussion about baseball and what's going on with the baseballs. This is a, a topic both of us are really uh, excited to get into. So for anyone unaware, there. This is technically a written rule. It's not an unwritten rule. Um, and I actually have it written down so we, we have the exact wording from the MLB. So according to the MLB, the rule is no player is permitted to intentionally damage, deface, or discolor the baseball by rubbing it with any type of foreign item or substance, including dirt or saliva. Failure to follow this rule will result in ejection and an automatic 10-game suspension. No. This rule came into effect in the dead ball era when players were actually like actually defacing the ball. They would like grind it with a with a with a nail file. They'd spit on it. They tried to make it darker. Uh, but as of recently, the rule was rarely enforced, and that was because as pitchers got better, they didn't need the foreign substances. The uh, other than to basically keep control because balls can get slippery sometimes, especially in. Uh, cooler weather, uh, colder weather, rainy weather. So sticky substances were used and not policed because it gave pitchers better control. It was safer for batters. More recently, though, and especially this year, uh, hitters have been taking uh, a lot more, a lot more offense to pitchers using, and that's because pitchers, since it has been policed less and less, have been using foreign substances more and more. And it's gone from a discussion about controlling the ball to actually affecting the ball and increasing the spin rate of the ball, which is the big uh, discussion. Uh, it came up during this week in the Garrett Cole, Josh Donaldson debate. Um, and now the MLB is announcing that they are cracking down. They are going to be enforcing it strictly, handing out those 10-game suspensions for players on breaking the rule. So there is just a lot of a lot of things going on. There's a lot of context going on with what's going on in the MLB, but uh, very different change, and it's we're, it's, we're going to have to see what happens with it. Uh, Dylan, just give me your thoughts on what's been going on with the foreign substances uh, and the crackdown that MLB is going on. So – this topic kind of came to my attention. I, it's been a little while now. Um, the Cardinals, my St. Louis Cardinals were playing, and Giovanni Gallegos, who's a great reliever for the Cardinals, was coming out of the bullpen. And umpire Joe West confiscated his cap because he thought he saw a foreign substance on the brim. And Cardinals manager Mike Schilt lost his mind. Uh, Schilt said, this is baseball's dirty little secret. And this is the wrong time and the wrong arena to expose it. He would go on to say, you want to please some sunscreen? Go ahead. Get every single guy in the league. Why don't you start with guys that are actually that are cheating with some stuff that's really impacting the game? That quote, I, I obviously it was very much in the mainstream with me because I keep up with the Cardinals. I'm covering the Cardinals quite a bit here. Um, I was very shocked because Mike Schilt is a very well-tempered, well-tempered man, excuse me. And he kind of keeps his emotions to himself. He's, he's very rah-rah about the Cardinals, but he never gets really too crazy emotionally. And he went after <laughs> Joe West. He was like, hey, watch out. What are you doing? I can't believe you're doing this. Um, 
that was kind of when this came into uh, the limelight for me, I guess. Um, and I kind of had it in the back of my head. And I just remember I was confused. I was like, what's the big deal? I was kind of like what Schilt was thinking. I was like, what's the big deal? I had always known this was a thing that pitchers do. It's just kind of part of the game. And then when you kind of look at the numbers, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe the MLB's got a point for cracking down on this because MLB hitters are on pace for the lowest batting average and the highest strikeout rate in history. That's absurd. And we've talked about in the past with all the no-hitters going on this year and changing the baseballs and everything else that something's going on, and we might have found it. Um, I I think it's interesting to see how players have reacted around the league. Trevor Bauer, who is just a bundle of entertainment out in L.A., uh, he accused Astro pitchers of doing this back in 2018 because the Astros are accused of everything and anything. Uh, he said he, they used it to improve their spin rate, which is kind of the conclusion that everybody's come to uh, why pitchers use the substance. Um, ba- that Bauer said they used to improve the spin rate. Since Bauer said that, his spin rate has improved dramatically. To date, Bauer is the only active MLB pitcher to be investigated, <laughs> but hasn't gotten in trouble yet. So I thought that was interesting. and. This isn't just an MLB. It's in the minors, too. There's been uh, four minor league pitchers either ejected and then suspended or suspended um, afterwards. There was a White Sox. There were two White Sox pitchers, a Giants minor leaguer, and a Rangers minor leaguer. Um, I like. I guess I like that they're keeping to their word and they're going to the minor leagues. I, I don't think that major league guys are going to really take it serious until it comes down in the majors. But at the same time, I don't know if they should take it seriously. I don't know. I'm very on the fence about it. I'd like to hear your opinion. Right. Yeah. It's tough because it's a, it is a very gray area of, of what you want to be policing because as a former pitcher and I, I don't, I don't bring that up as I'm, I've never thrown at the major league level, but as a former pitcher, and I was telling Dylan before the show, when I ever, whenever I got my hat for a new season, I would always put a line of pine tar on the brim of my hat. And I wouldn't use that every game, but I would use it in certain situations where I was losing control of the ball. And I needed a little bit something to just get the ball over the plate. And, and when you're throwing fastballs that are, you know, 75, 80 miles per hour, you want to be able to control that and not hit people. So it, it there is a, a sense of, of player safety there. Um, the difference is, is that I, I, I'm sure as policing has gone down of that, that players have used it to get an advantage. And I'm sure that's been going on for a long time. The, the difference now is that we actually have the technology to actually measure exactly what it's doing. And the spin rate, uh, the spin rate actually gives you a, a monetary value to look at, or not a monetary, a numeric value to look at that you can actually see. And you saw with Garrett Cole, he gets called out one day, his spin rate goes down by a few hundred the next day. So uh, we're seeing in real time what these foreign substances actually could do to these balls. Um, Trevor Bauer is an interesting one because uh, he tweeted out, Back in, back in the day, he was looking for someone someone involved in baseball and science to help him inc- increase his spin rate. He had figured out that spin rate was a big part of pitching and needed to figure out how to increase it. And it seems like basically the conclusion he came to was foreign substances are the best thing to help increase your spin rate because does, it doesn't get policed and it, it is effective. 
Um, so the problem is, is, is it is giving players an advantage. Uh, and when you see batting averages and stuff going down and uh, no hitters going up, and you hear hitters complaining about this stuff, it, it makes you think, all right, then maybe we found it. Maybe we found like the reasoning. I do want to say that the, the numbers are a little bit confusing just because that's the way baseball is trending. Uh, strikeouts are up because players are trying to hit the hell out of the ball. They want to, they want to hit home runs and they swing as hard as they can. And they've changed the swing trajectory uh, to be not in the plane of strike zone as long. So they can hit home runs. They can hit the ball higher. So there is a something there, but at the same time, when you talk about the dead ball era, which is when this rule was put in place, it there was a lot of the a lot of the things that constitute the dead ball era are happening now. Players were doctoring the baseball, using foreign substances, and hitters were getting a lot less just doing a lot less hitting at the time defense and base running became a lot more important. And, the, and you're seeing that now with the defensive shifts and stuff like that. It almost seems like we're entering a second dead ball era in baseball. And we kind of, and they're trying to get on, on top of it. Uh, but now it's just becoming a, a debate about so many nitty gritty things. So many things that just have been thrown off in the past that uh, it almost seems Dumb to do it in the middle of the season, but I, I understand OB's point of trying to get it uh, looked at because it's just become such a big topic. And I think that's a good thing and the bad thing for the MLB right now is it's just so much, so much attention is being given to the MLB, but for the wrong reasons. It's the, it's the juice balls or the dead balls. It's why are all these no hitters happening is it's the foreign substances now. Uh, and you know, the bat flipping stuff. So it's just, a, it, it it's very interesting and I, and you can go either way with it, but I, I do think cracking down on it is a good call. I just think there's going to be more in, in the off season. And in the uh, once they negotiate with the players union, uh, there's going to be uh, a universal something, you know, maybe it's a universal substance that players can use that everyone knows what it is and no one's getting an advantage, but uh, it's tough. It's tough to police. And the, lo- the last thing I'll say is it's really tough to police uh, for umpires. You-, you talked about the sunscreen incident with the Cardinals. Uh, Bauer has said in the past that he uses sunscreen mixed with the rosin bag that they give you on the pitcher's mound. And that mixed together makes a very sticky substance. Both of those things separately are legal substances, but sticky substances in general are illegal. So you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on umpires that are already not doing very great jobs of policing it in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how it's policed. And I'm interested to see the first pitcher that actually gets ejected for a foreign substance and how that actually plays out, because I think that's going to, we're going to see some fireworks when that happens, when a pitcher loses a start because uh, of something that he's been doing his whole career. Something that I really appreciated was the New York Mets coming out and saying, Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher in the MLB, does not use foreign substances. And I don't know if he does. He doesn't need them. I I think we can all agree with that. Uh, I really appreciate his teammates all saying, hey, deGrom doesn't use them. Don't look at Jacob. He's fine. We'll move on to every other pitcher in the MLB. Um, So everyone listening, mark off Jacob deGrom on your list. We can move on to the other 7,000 pitchers in the MLB in the minor leagues. Um, but yeah, I, looking forward, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see 
what pitcher gets thrown out first and suspended for doing something they've done their whole career. Uh, and it'll be a different kind of fireworks at the ballpark. And to say the least, this is a very sticky situation. <laughs> and that, that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> That's a very good point. And yeah, just the last thing with DeGrom, you know, it's t- it when you when you have a pitcher like that who's having such a good season, and then you have all these off the field stuff going on. It, it, it I feel bad for the pitchers that are legitimately having great seasons. I think DeGrom is one of them. Shane Bieber in Cleveland, uh, Tyler Glass now in Tampa, they're all having really good seasons in the AL. So, I don't want to take away or AL and NL. So, I want I don't want to take away from what the pitchers are doing, but definitely want to see a fair shot for the hitters as well. So great stuff there. We're going to move on. Uh, Why did I just mute myself? Uh, We're going to move on to the regular from our regular topics today and to this segment of this week in sports, as we look back on the news of the week in the sports world and also look forward to some matchups that we're looking forward to. Uh, As we look back, we're looking at the college football world as a proposal was announced that looks very likely to be uh, accepted as the college football playoff is likely to be expanded to 12 teams. Uh, If you haven't heard any of the specifics, just give you a quick rundown. It would be the sixth highest Six highest ranked conference champions and the six highest ranked non-conference champions that would qualify. No conference would automatically qualify. There would be no limit to the amount of teams from each conference that could qualify. And the four highest ranked conference champions would be the one through four seeds. They would receive first round buys in that format. Uh, extremely exciting thing for us to consider as college football fans and looks likely to be the plan of the college football playoff moving forward. Uh, Dylan, give me your thoughts on the news of the playoff expansion. I'm very excited. I remember when we moved from the BCS system to the, what's now the college football playoff for the four teams. And I thought that move was incredible. And then we've done that for a few years and I don't want to say it hurt college football, but it kind of it kind of hurt the parity. And we talked about parity in the NBA earlier. It's kind of hurt the parity in college football. We've had Alabama and Clemson every year and then a sprinkle of other teams. Like Michigan State's made it once. Washington made it once. And that was fun, but that was kind of the only variance we got. You're throwing in Oklahoma and Notre Dame in one of those spots every year, and then it's kind of a grab bag of a few teams for the four spot. Um, the 12-team system, though, is very exciting. Uh, someone who grew up in SEC country, college football's kind of always been king in the world of sports. And I feel like it could make a lot of fun. Like, I, I saw what the 12-team playoff would have been this past year, and Cincinnati and Georgia, who played in the Peach Bowl, I believe, would have been a first-round matchup. And that game was incredible. It came down to the last seconds the Georgia kicker nailed a field goal uh, as time expired to win. I'm only imagining that as a first round matchup. I believe it because the first round matchups, uh, the proposal right now is they would be hosted by the higher seed. So that game would have been in Athens, Georgia, and it would have been a raucous environment. And it just would have felt like college football, um, which sometimes these bowl games, they, they don't have the, the college football feel. And I think that would be something fun ejected into the, the playoff system. Um, it'd be fun because we thought when we went to the 14 playoff, 
it would fix the, the issue of, oh, we never get Boise State. We never get TCU. It doesn't happen. They don't have the strength of schedule. They can't get in there. 12, surely to goodness, that would fix it. I, it's hard to believe it wouldn't. I, it's hard to see them saying, all right, we've got the six top conference champions. Then you got Notre Dame because Notre Dame will probably make it every year, which that's just how life will go. Um, and then, all right, we got to get Texas A&M, Ohio State. If they don't win the Big Ten, they'll probably win the Big Ten because that's how it looks every year nowadays. And then all these other top Power Five teams, I don't think that's how it happened. They'd, they'd be under a lot of scrutiny if they've got 12 teams and they don't get like an undefeated Coastal Carolina team in as at least the 12 seed. I mean, that that just seems like that'd be a layup. It'd be a lot of fun because we've got these scenarios in the past where we didn't get to see that undefeated Boise State team go into a national championship with Kellen Moore. And who knows, they maybe maybe get blown out, but at least they get the chance to play. Um, it's I think it can add a lot of fun and give hope to teams that haven't had a chance to make this 14 playoff. And, uh, and it's kind of, uh, the 14 playoff has kind of hurt recruiting for schools because these Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State, they've all kind of just been funneling five-star recruits and it's stealing from other teams because these teams don't have a chance to win a national championship. Well, that's what recruits think and the coaches are telling them. Uh, so maybe it'll create more parity in recruiting uh, and just create overall better product on the field on Saturdays and add to what is already an amazing sport that it's hard not to love. And uh, I'm interested to see if the schedule will be affected at all. Maybe go from a 12-game schedule, 10-game schedule. I don't know. Um, but this news is very exciting, and I'm excited to see what comes up. Yeah, I'm really excited, really happy with the news. Um, I'm really excited that the group of five schools will get their shot in this format. And uh, I know a lot of people were – there were some college football fans freaking out about this format. Uh, I truly thought the death of college football was coming when there were rumors about that group of five championship bracket becoming a thing. I I thought that the, the splitting of the FBS into a, a power five and the group of five was just, uh, you would have only like 40 or so teams that could compete for a national championship and truly only like 10 or 12. So uh, the fact that, we're going in the opposite direction, expanding it and making the group of fives actually contenders for this. That brings, that makes me a lot happier. And, you know, that was the point of the playoff. I thought at first was to give those Boise States and the the UCFs of the world a shot. And it actually did the opposite. It made it way harder for them to ever have a chance. So uh, that was probably my, my first reaction was I was really excited for the group of five schools. I'm really excited for them to get their chance. I think this puts a ton of pressure on Notre Dame to join a conference. And we talked about it before the, before the show um, with the top four conference champions getting that by uh, the, the staying independent actually hurts you now uh, for the longest time, Notre Dame could get away with it because they were Notre Dame. Uh, the, the selection committees and even the voters would give them that extra bump because they were Notre Dame, even if they had that, that, uh, 12 games instead of 13. Um, th- that's not going to be the case anymore. If there is no chance for you to get a first round buy because you're independent, it basically forces Notre Dame to pick a conference. Uh, but it also makes it tough because you're either going to join the Big Ten and you have Ohio State there, or you're going to join the ACC uh, and have Clemson there. So Notre Dame is going to n- 
definitely change what they're doing uh, revolving around the, the final news around this proposal. Um, and there is a part of me that thinks, you know, there is a part of college football that is dying now with the, the fact that if you do lose one game, you still have a shot. Uh, I know that's not been the case because there's been a ton of one loss teams that have made the four game playoff, but even with that, I, it still felt like every game really mattered, and any any loss was almost eliminating to most teams that were competitors. There were the teams like Ohio State and Alabama that could lose that game and still have a chance at it, but for for teams like Michigan, Michigan State, you know those teams that were looking to get their Big Ten or maybe their conference championship and then get into the playoff. Uh, that was still a fun part of the uh, college football experience for me. So I, I think that is a part of uh, that is dying a little bit, but it's a good thing because I think that giving more teams an opportunity to compete for a national championship only makes it more fun and get, makes the sport bigger. So you allow bigger uh, these other schools to uh, join in on the fun. So that's what I, I think is the best part about it. And I think it's a great, I think it's a great system. I think it's well thought out and I don't think there's any real setbacks that I see in it. The only thing I'll say is that uh, the American athletic commissioner, uh, the American athletic conference commissioner, Mike Oresco said, I don't think in any sense that the plan has any weaknesses or flaws that would come to mind. And if any time any sports person says that, uh, I think it's come back to bite them. I don't know any situation where someone said my plan has no flaws and then came back and was able to say that they were right. So that's the only thing that scares me about this. Other than that, I think it's really exciting. And I think it, like you said, the parody of college football is back. Uh, if this uh, definitely gets instituted. I, I think, um, I think it's just obvious. It's the obvious move because every other college sport or every other NCAA sport, I'm sorry. Um, if you win your conference, you're going to be competing for a national championship. That's how it works. And even I'm more from, I'm more familiar than most maybe with FCS football because went to Murray state, they compete in FCS Murray state, their last game of the spring season. If they would have beat Jacksonville state, they would have made the college, uh, football FCS playoff, college football playoff for FCS, and would have had a chance to play for a national championship. That just seems like the way it should go. That's how it works for basketball. And I think it's going to – I think we're going to do this 12-team playoff for a couple years. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. They're going to be like, you know what, let's upgrade to 16. Let's get these conference champions in there. Let's have some fun, create some Cinderella stories. Because that's the great thing about college sports, period, is you you get these teams that come together – win a conference championship, maybe, which football you can't really go through a conference tournament, but maybe string together an eight and four season and they pull that big upset to get above an Ohio State in the Big Ten and they go to the Big Ten championship and win. And they're in the playoff out of nowhere. And those are these cool stories that you don't get to see uh, in college football and you get to see them in other other, uh, places in the college athletics world. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited to see where it goes. I, I think we could be seeing 16, 16 teams before too long, but we won't get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, and that's the greatness of it is uh, I, I like that part of college football where it's like 
we can see which teams are the best. So we're going to put those teams in the playoff, but this gives you that extra, you don't need to do away with that, but you can add the other part where you have basically automatic qualifiers from the conferences and they, they have just the same shot as the teams that you think are the best and give them, give them a chance, play it out on the field and we'll see what happens. All right. So finally wrapping up uh, this week in sports and today's show, we're just going to look forward to what we're looking forward to the most this weekend and in the upcoming week. Uh, Dylan, where are you looking forward to uh, in the sports world uh, upcoming? So obviously with the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs, obviously looking forward to that. Excited to watch exciting basketball and hockey. Uh, my attention's turned towards the College World Series. I'm, I'm very excited uh, for the Tennessee and LSU uh, Super Regional Series. I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, Tennessee last weekend swept their region to advance to the Super Regional. Looked phenomenal. Hit a walk-off grand slam while they were down three last Friday night. It was incredible. Knoxville exploded. Um, I'm excited to watch that. The Cardinals and Cubs are playing right now, opening a three-game series in Chicago. Cardinals very much need to bounce back after they've been on a tough stretch. Uh, so I'm excited to hopefully uh, get get some wins over those guys from uh, Wrigley. Uh, and then uh, I guess in the playoffs – in the NBA variety, I, uh, I'm excited to see the Nets and Bucks where it goes from here because the Bucks were on the ropes and then they got that big, big win last night uh, when Bruce Brown decided to take the game-winning shot instead of Kevin Durant or Kyrie, which was certainly a move. I, <laughs> certainly a move. Uh, I appreciate the, the, um, the confidence from Bruce Brown, uh, certainly, but I'm excited to see where they go and they – what kind of aggressiveness both teams come out with in their next games. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the coming weekend and week? Yeah, I'm uh, right with you there with the College World Series. Uh, before I get my matchups, I did want to say congrats to the Oklahoma softball team for winning the Women's College World Series. They had a tremendous season, uh, one of the best seasons in college uh, softball history. So uh, congratulations to them. And that's got me with the college baseball stuff. Uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m., Notre Dame and Mississippi State are going to take on each other, uh, the seven seed taking on the 10 seed. Uh, so awesome. It's always awesome in the College World Series when those top 10 seeds end up playing each other. Uh, so definitely going to keep my eye on that. And then as we look for the playoffs, uh, I really think that that Utah Clippers matchup is going to be really exciting. And I I'm going to put out a prediction right now. I do think the Clippers are going to take two games at home, and I think they're going to go back to Utah in a 2-2 series. Uh, Utah came out firing last night, and then all of a sudden the Clippers came roaring back, and it was a very close game all night, and it really could have gone either way. Uh, Donovan Mitchell got shaken up at the end of the game, so we got to see what happens there. He may have uh, tweaked his ankle that he's been having problems with, so interesting to see as that moves back to L.A. and – as I've been watching the NBA playoffs, uh, just as a Detroit fan again, seeing all of our former Pistons out there doing like, you know, whatever they're doing, it's it's tough to watch. Reggie Jackson tearing it up. Uh, Bruce Brown was a Piston. Luke Kennard was a Piston. Uh, so many of our guys are now role players on really good teams. Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's a that's a story for another day, but. Uh, the, the Pistons have a lot of guys out there doing a lot of things that were on our team. Chris Middleton, we drafted Chris Middleton. Uh, so it, it's fun to watch. I know those guys. I'm rooting for those guys individually, but it's always tough to see because our franchise is in such a 
tough spots. So, um, but yeah, that's all. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you, Dylan, for another awesome show. Thank you, Blake, for stopping by and talking basketball with us. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in and making all the way through. A reminder where you can find us on social. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on TikTok at underscore TV sports. You can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports and on the web at www.tvsportsmag.com. This has been the Dylan and Dylan Show signing off. We will see you guys next week.